1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm your favourite host, Dr. Mike Todorovich, and we are joined by this... Your other...
0: favourite co-host, Matthew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've got a good voice for radio, good voice for podcast. I've got a head for television, you've got a voice for podcast. Together we work quite well. Thank you. Thank How have you, you been?
0: Uh, pretty well, pretty well. Uh, I'm still on uh, study leave, so I'm not teaching this semester. So what are you doing? I'm uh, supposed to do research. Um, which has been challenging because of COVID. Actually, yeah. a few things. COVID, so that put us back on the clinical trial that, that's that been put on hold for the time being and uh, a colleague uh, broke both ankles. So that means I can't get in to do... Sorry,
1: uh, broke both ankles yeah. at once. At once. How'd that happen?
0: Um, parkour. <laughs> <laughs> parkour. 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 Uh, leapt over a concrete wall and onto concrete. ...and broke both calcaneal bones. Wow. Um, That's horrible. So uh, maybe next week we'll get in the lab. This is for our um, peripheral nerve work. Okay. So that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So at the moment just... So that's why you're here. You're able to spare
1: time for us to jump on the podcast and... To To talk talk
0: about this really important topic today which we haven't covered before. No. And apparently we're getting requests to do so. Yeah. What is the topic? Okay, so it's a system that we haven't covered. Um, how many systems in the body? 12? Yeah, about that. Depends on how you classify them. But If you classify this one. Yeah, yeah. So this one is usually the forgotten one um, and the, it's sometimes incorporated into other systems.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so do you know what we're going to do? Lymphatic. Well, I hope so because <laughs> no one wants to listen to me just make stuff up. Uh, the lymphatic system. Good. I had a heap of people ask on... Emails, social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at Dr. Mike. Denonage. Which you're prolific on. Prolific. And I'm not. No, you don't have any of them. I've got Twitter, but it's absent. Yeah. So like me. If you really want to get a hold of Dr. Matt, good luck. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm everywhere. Um, Literally. Yeah, unfortunately, to my detriment uh, and to my benefit. I like talking with people, engaging with them. Um, But I do get a lot of abuse. Do you? Mainly for all the COVID stuff that I post. COVID, uh, pro, pro COVID vaccine, not pro COVID COVID? virus.
0: You believe in COVID?
1: Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, You?
0: As I said, I've been on study leave for some time. (laughs) You have no idea?
1: (laughs) I don't know what's happening in the world. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So study leave doesn't obviously encapsulate watching the news, reading the paper or anything Uh, like that. Correct. Wow. Okay, so Matt lives in his own little world where COVID hasn't existed. <laughs> Lymphatics. Yeah. The lymphatic system, an important system, which is probably closely linked to the cardiovascular system and also closely linked to the immune system. Yeah. It's probably the nexus between those two. Mm. Plays
0: uh, Digestive.
1: Yeah, I suppose you're right. For, for one particular aspect, it is the nexus between the digestive, the cardiovascular, and the immune system. Mm. Uh, and you could probably broadly say that the lymphatic system. I'm just going to define the three main functions, and then we can go on from there. So
0: you jump into the physiology before the anatomy? Yes, okay. I know. Typical,
1: typical. Yeah, typical physiologist compared to a typical anatomist. Uh, the three functions. One. Why do we have a lymphatic system? It is because it plays an important role in fluid homeostasis, so fluid balance. Two plays an important role in immune function. Yeah. And three it plays an important role when it comes to fat absorption and transportation, dietary fat transportation. So they're the three main functions that we'll be going through today. But you're probably right. We should jump onto the anatomy, talk about what is the lymphatic system made up of.
0: Okay, so lymph. Obviously, lymph. Sorry,
1: Uh, Sorry, I just hit my head on a book too, so that doesn't help. Lymph. Do you know what lymph means? Uh, No. Clear water. Ah, I didn't know that. In what? Sorry. Latin. Latin. Greek.
0: Yeah, I'd say Latin.
1: All right, just make it up.
0: Uh, So it consists of lymph. 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 Lymphatic. Lymph consists of lymph. Little lymphatic system. So the anatomy of the lymphatic system, firstly we need to have the lymph itself which is the clear water which is kind of the leftover parts of the, um, the blood that's escaped out of the capillaries and hasn't got back into the veins. So it's kind of the fluid of your extracellular space. So it's like interstitial fluid yep. basically. Yep. So that's what lymph is. Then we need to get them back into vessels. So we have vessels, lymphatic vessels, yep. which we can go through a whole array of those. And then we have lymphatic tissue, and then again, that can be uh, organized, can be quite loosely organized or quite um, centralized into even uh, nodes, and then into organs. All right, like, and we can get to that. Or oh, do you want to do that now?
1: Um, I well, look, I love physiology. I thought I'd like to talk about the relevance of the lymphatic system, just generally. Broadly, and then become more specific. And maybe when we start talking about the physiology, we start introducing some more of the anatomy. Yeah,
0: particularly the, uh, the tissue, the organised tissue, because it's going to go to loosely organised tissue, lymphatic tissue, into you know, things like um, malt and um, nodes,
1: and then we can get into organs. Okay. So now y- you and I had a very brief conversation before we started this six seconds I think it would have probably been, where we said, okay, lymphatic system's involved in the immune system um, and immune function. And I said the lymphatic system basically plays a role as sampling what's in the blood and providing that sample of what's in the blood to the lymph nodes to potentially, if there's something that shouldn't be there, elicit an immune response. And what did you say in response?
0: I kind of disagreed with that because I, d- I don't necessarily think Um, it's about sampling what's in the blood or the plasma. I think it's more sampling what's in your extracellular or interstitial fluid. In very
1: specific regions.
0: Yeah, and so you're trying to reclaim all that fluid that has escaped out of your blood and you're trying to get it back into the blood. And in doing so, you need to kind of extract all this extra fluid from tissue. But before you can dump it into the central system, because it's draining tissue, which may mean that there's some harmful things in there or damaged things or dysfunctional things, you want to kind of check it before it gets put back into the system. And one of the ways you can do that is put it through lymphatic tissue um, loosely and then a more organised lymphatic tissue, which is usually lymph nodes. And if it can, can get through that, you'd hope that those nodes have kind of sort out any nasty things particularly pathogens and that's where I think the immune function comes into it and then if all the lymph that you're happy with has gone through all the checks then you can just drop it off into some veins and then it goes back into the central system
1: all right let's let's start at the beginning because we might have some confused people saying what are you talking about about this l- leftover fluid yep all right so so,
0: so that mean we start with the function of fluid homeostasis
1: yeah I think we should talk about the fact that obviously left side of the heart, pumps out oxygenated blood with a lot of delicious nutrients, goes through the arterial supply, through the arterioles, and then through to capillaries at the tissues, and there's going to be a certain pressure behind that blood. So obviously you've got blood pressure, 120 millimetres of mercury at the left ventricle, and it slowly diminishes as you move through that arterial system. And by the time you get capillaries, it's only what around about, oh, I'm, probably should have checked this before, we started around about 35 millimetres of mercury worth of outward push, Mm. which we call the hydrostatic Hydrostatic pressure. So remember that once you get to the capillaries, they're porous. There's holes in them. And so if you've got an outward push, you're going to push stuff out. Okay. Makes sense. But the capillaries have very small holes, so it doesn't push everything out. So anything that's too big, like what? Okay. Uh,
0: well, you'd, you'd hope that the blood cells don't come out. Yep. So, so blood
1: cells stay in the blood vessel.
0: Yeah. So red blood cells, white blood cells, yep. um, probably platelets shouldn't come out. Yep. And then so everything that's dissolved in the plasma would come out and then probably some proteins.
1: Yeah. Proteins mainly stay inside. Okay. So the only stuff that's going out is anything small enough that's dissolved in the plasma, which is usually the gases, the nutrients – the ions, mm-hmm. right? And they're all being pushed out because there's this outward pressure. Yep. Easy to understand. This is happening at the arterial end of a capillary. Because remember, the capillary bed has an arterial end and then it's got a venous end because on the other end of a capillary is the venous side. So on the arterial end, you're pushing out all this fluid, yep. dissolved gases, yep. Yep. so forth.
0: This is everywhere in the body.
1: Everywhere in the body, at all the tissues. And we need this because we've got to push stuff out so the tissues can be fed. Yep. Now, once the tissues have been fed, they're going to be taking in that oxygen and spitting out carbon dioxide as a byproduct, Mm. but they're also going to spit out waste. And we don't want that just sitting around the tissues. It can be damaging. So we need to reclaim that back into the blood supply. And so the venous end will pull this fluid back in. And the way that it pulls it back in is because all those cells and proteins have remained inside the capillary, they exert a pulling force. Mainly the proteins, because they're all negatively charged. They love pulling water towards it. So anything with a charge, water loves jumping on it. Because water has hydrogen and oxygen, which has a slightly positive and a slightly negative charge to it. So if it's got a charge to it, water's going to stick to it. Okay. So all those negative proteins reclaim it, pulls this fluid back in at the venous end. Awesome. Now the blood fluid's back in and it goes to the venous system, back to the heart, the whole process starts again. But Even though this is happening all day, every day, the amount of fluid that gets pushed out does not equal the amount of fluid that gets pulled back in. In actual fact, there's some fluid that actually just sits outside of the blood vessel between the cells in the interstitium. Every day, it would be around about three litres of fluid just accumulates outside the tissue. Now, we can't let it accumulate because three litres is like half of our blood volume. Right. So So I was going to say that. Yeah, so what would happen if, let's just say... This process occurs and at the end of the day, three litres of your blood volume is actually now sitting outside of the blood vessels between the tissues. What would happen to your blood pressure?
0: Yeah, well, your blood volume will drop yep. and therefore your blood pressure would drop. Exactly. So it would be kind of like being dehydrated, I guess. Yeah, you'd so probably you'd die. You need to drink or take in a lot more fluid than you normally do.
1: So we need something that reclaims that three litres, right? And this is where now finally the lymphatic system comes into play. So with the lymphatic system, we've got a whole bunch of vessels, like blood vessels, but these are blunt-ended blood. Uh, these are blunt-ended vessels that are sort of comprised like roofing shingles, yeah. where it's like endothelial epithelial cells sort of overlapping each other in this blunt-ended fashion. That if the pressure in the interstitium is high enough, it pushes the fluid inside of these blunt-ended. Vessels,
0: Yeah, they've got – these shingles, like the roofing tiles that you mentioned, uh, have like anchor points into the tissue, like collagen anchor points. And so –
1: Just bound to the surrounding tissue. Yeah. And so
0: when your tissue becomes pressurised, it pulls on the shingles and opens the flaps up. Oh, nice. And that means – because when it pressurises, you would assume that there's more fluid in the tissue. Mm, And so mm. as it starts to swell – it pulls on these anchors, open in the flaps, and then the fluid will start to go into the capillary beds of the of the lymphatics, or the lymphatic capillaries, and then the fluid will get taken up into these channels. And then hopefully by doing that, it would take the pressure away and then the shingles or the doors will close a bit.
1: So the take-home message for this very first part is that the lymphatic system reclaims lost fluid from our blood capillary beds, throws them into these. Lymphatic vessels. Yep, Cap- Where do they go? Okay, so then they start... I just don't use the word capillary because it's confusing because of the blood vessels, but okay. we can say,
0: yeah.
1: So Well, then, then they maybe go
0: through these series of bigger channels and bigger channels and bigger channels until they got to a size when then they're ready to, to get dropped off into the venous system up in your neck, essentially. Right. So your whole body will have to be drained this way and as it drains closer to your neck, it gets into a bigger kind of bigger pipes... But before pops. it
1: gets there, yeah. it actually moves through these little sporadic groupings of encapsulated lymphatic tissue called lymph nodes. Right? Yep. So every so
0: but you can do. Th- do you want to do the do you want to do the channels first, just the different names before we get into the tissue? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, regardless of where you are, if it's down in your legs, in your in, in your fingers, or in your face, or even in your lungs, it has to go through drain this same kind of way so all the you, lymphatic yeah all, all the lymph yeah. yeah so it has to go I know you don't like it but it starts off the at the lymph capillaries yep which is the most simplistic ones and they go into a lymph collecting vessels which is a bit bigger and then they go into lymph trunks which are slightly bigger vessels okay now there are nine trunks lymph trunks in the body so you've got Lumbar trunks, which are essentially going to drain your pelvis and legs. So there's a right and left lumbar. Okay. There's intestinals, which are kind of draining all your GIT. This is probably more important for the absorption of fats, which we'll okay. get to. Yeah. Okay. Then you have the trunks that are draining your head and neck. That's going to be the two jugular, right and left. Then you're going to have the ones that drain your arms, which is going to be the subclavian trunks, right and left. And then you're going to have the ones that drain your kind of chest and lungs and that's the broncho uh, mediastinal
1: so are they names of blood vessels or capillary vessels capillary
0: capillary oh, okay. trunks
1: oh, sorry blood vessels or lymphatic vessels lymphatic okay yeah. okay yeah.
0: so what this means is they start to coalesce together mm-hmm. and then th- then they're going to get to the point where they go into what we call the ducts and the ducts is where you drop them into the the venous system okay so on the right side of your body, there's the right lymphatic trunk, trunk, duct. Sorry. Oh, the, here we go. The The right lymphatic duct. And this really just drains your right top quarter of your body. So it will drain the right side of your face and head and yeah. neck and your right arm. Okay. And this will then drop all that lymphatic tissue – sorry, lymph, t- lymph fluid. We're doing okay. well. We're doing well. Into, it's okay. Into your right lymphatic duct, which is kind of a junction between – your internal jugular and your subclavian vein right on that corner point. Okay. And it drops it into there. The reason why it goes into there is that vessel has a very low pressure, like five millimeters of mercury.
1: It's one of the lowest pressured vessels in the in the bloodstream, right? Blood, yeah. Blood supply. And
0: that's so it just can return fluid back into the right side of the heart. So it, it drains all that kind of top right quarter of your body. Now yeah. the rest of your body, so the lower legs – the left arm, the left face, left head and neck will go into the thoracic duct. Where's that? That's the same side same same location but on the left hand side.
1: Oh. So how come one's called the subclavian, one's called the thoracic?
0: No, one's called the right lymphatic duct yeah. and the other one is the thoracic duct.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. And they both drain
0: into the the junction between the internal jugular vein. And the, and the subclavian vein.
1: Okay. And so this is where we reintroduce all that lost fluid back into the bloodstream so that that three litres isn't just sitting outside of it. the blood vessels, we can reclaim the volume. Correct. We don't pass out and die.
0: Yep. All right. Now, that, <laughs> There's a few things just to be aware of. Because unlike, say, blood vessels, there's no uh, muscles. Well, there's a little bit of muscles, but not the same way as blood vessels have muscles, smooth muscles. Okay. So that means... Um, you can't kind of – the vessel itself can't squeeze closed to push the fluid along. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's all well and good for, say, your arms and your head and neck where it's working with gravity. Mm. But if you're coming up from your legs – Yeah,
1: how do you get it up?
0: You're trying to get against gravity. Yes. Okay. So it's a harder process.
1: Yeah, and if there's not a pump behind it, like the heart with the arterial system, um, and there's no smooth muscles to – be able to constrict around it, how does this fluid then move against gravity?
0: Yeah, so there's some some ways that we can get around it. Firstly, we have a lot of valves to prevent backflow. So there's little flaps that stop the fluid going backwards. So there's multiple valves, which probably become a bit incompetent later in life.
1: and that So much like you.
0: Yeah, and that probably <laughs> leads to more edema. As you get older, because these oh, okay. these, these lymphatic vessels become uh, they incompetent. Lose, they lose their ability to drain as well. Yeah.
1: Okay. So they become very Barton like. Correct. Okay. M- now, I'm not sure
0: why I agreed. Now, <laughs> some lymphatic vessels will just follow the blood vessels. And so by being with the blood vessels, there is kind of a pump in action that they, that would assist with the movement. Oh, yeah. But just like the, the deep veins in your leg, they get kind of put between muscles and so you do have that muscle pump action that when you move your legs, like you're walking, it will
1: squash them and then... So what about people like you who have very poor muscular definition in, in any part of their body, particularly their legs? How are you supposed to be able to push that lymph fluid up when you don't actually have a, a calf muscle to do it?
0: Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> I... Um, <laughs> I have get a horizontal um, system w- when I sit at the desk where I keep my legs straight out. Oh, do you? And I have this kind of… Do you vac- lay down <laughs> to access your computer? <laughs> I have a, a vacuum pump that kind of squeezes my <laughs> calves to get that fluid back.
1: All right. So can we jump into lymph nodes?
0: Yeah, I think so. So that's the, that's the that's the fluid mm-hmm. and that's the vessel system. Yeah. Okay. So now… We go to the tissue. Yep. And so lymph tissue is... What type of connected tissue? This will will test you. Loose areola. Loose connected tissue, which is reticular tissue. Ah,
1: of course, reticular, because it's a... a, Like a a fission net. Yes, and we need it to be like that because it's a filter. Yeah. Okay, so it's loose. So that means the arrangement of collagen and elastic fibres, for example... Has, uh, loosely arranged.
0: yeah it has no real system to it unlike yes. say ligaments and tendons, which would be orientated in, in a long a long plane mm. and very dense to give strength.
1: And because it's reticular, it is like a, a net, like mm. you said, and that's because of the whole fact that this tissue acts as a filtration system for the lymph that's moving through. Yeah.
0: And so with this tissue, it's going to be arranged along these pathways, mm-hmm. okay? And within the tissue itself, there's a number of different cells. What what cells would you want to put in this fission net?
1: I'd want to put in immune cells.
0: Yep. So you've got lymphocytes, which is uh, probably you'd say more specialised for the adaptive immune system. Yep. Would the you agree? White blood cells. Yeah. 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 Then you've got phagocytes, so yeah. particularly macrophages, dendritic cells, the which eaters, eaters, but also presenters. Like you. Antigen-presenting cells. I do a lot of things.
1: Yeah. You're um, a man of
0: you're, – you're an eater and a presenter. And a man of little carbs. <laughs> uh, and then fibroblasts, which are the cells that you would say make the reticular fibres or the fission
1: nets. Yeah. Happy with that? Yeah, so far. Look, now, you're doing an okay job. Now I think people would be quite pleased with your level of knowledge here. Thanks. So this tissue,
0: this lymphatic tissue um, – as I said, is arranged along the these vessels that are reclaiming the fluid. So okay.
1: you're saying that at, at particular points in the vessels, it's going to reach tissues. There's going to be collections of these tissues. So you're yeah, saying and it's that's,
0: all throughout. That's, but, but at this point, there's a, there's a lot of tissue that's loosely organised. So you might have some loosely organised tissue in locations that are the most vulnerable points in your body for pathogens to get in. Like so the holes. Yeah, the hole. Well, it's true. So you're going to
1: have lymphatic tissue collections uh, at the back of your nose, at the back of your throat, um, at certain uh, openings of the digestive tract, embedded within the terminal portions of your small intestines. Mm -hmm. So I think the way I think about it is anytime a hole allows for something to enter from one uh, environment to the next, you're probably going to find from the external environment to the internal environment, you're going to have a collection of lymphatic Tissues,
0: yeah, and this is the, probably the crossover now between the fluid homeostasis, so reclaiming fluid, and now the immune system, because mm. as you're pulling fluid, let's say, out of your nose tissue and your mouth tissue, your eye tissue, your rectal tissue, your urinary tract tissue, your GIT tissue, your lung tissue.
1: Yeah, we get the point. Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> these are you want the fluid back, right? Yes, yes, yes. But there's. There's a chance that there could be some bacteria or viruses or nasty stuff in that fluid that you're drawing back. Yeah,
1: I, l- I love the lymphatic system because of this sort of dual purpose where, yep, it's reclaiming some fluid. But at the same time, it and this is goes back to the point I made very early that you disagreed with, it's taste testing what's happening in that fluid. So, yeah, I agree to the fluid. I just, I, the just, area. I just didn't say blood. You're right. You're right. Okay. So, for, so, okay, let me give a more specific example. Let's just say you've had a cut to your upper thigh, your inner upper thigh, right, okay. which for some reason you're showing me. Uh, you've had a cut there and maybe it's introduced some sort of pathogen. Now that's going to get into the bloodstream, right, in that area. And because it's part of the bloodstream, it's going to go to capillary beds and some fluid is going to leak out and... S- uh, Subset of that fluid will be reclaimed into the lymphatic vessels in your leg and will take it to its closest supply of lymph nodes, which will be in the groin. And so it's a taste test of what's (laughs) happening (laughs) in...
0: That's my groin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a taste test of what's in that area of your leg in the bloodstream and if there's a pathogen or bacteria that's present there, then it can go to that collection of lymphatic tissue, which you said has a selection of um, immune cells such as lymphocytes.
0: Yeah, B and T cells. From now on, we'll call it B and T cells. Now, before, sure. but before we get to this this tissue being organised in like a, con, a connective tissue wrapper, yep. the starting point, and this is what I was trying to make, is it's just kind of a cluster of a bit of tissue. So it's kind of like... Uh, let's say, uh, in a in a war, in a battle where... You always bring it,
1: up wars and battles if, in our podcast.
0: You know how sometimes you see the movies where uh, soldiers or someone is moving along a dirt road and they come a, across a few little soldiers just on the side of the road yeah. smoking cigarettes, right? <laughs> this would be the loosely organised group. They, gotcha. They're checking the road, but yeah. they're not too organised They're about not going to
1: stop an army. That's right. But they allow just for everything to slow down and just be like, well, let me just see if uh, this is okay. Exactly. And if it's bad, they can call in the rest of their... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just for a bit of deterrent, but nothing serious. Okay. But then if you keep going on the road and the roads start to coalesce into bigger roads, you might get an outpost. Gotcha.
1: You know what I mean? And is an outpost a lymph node?
0: Not quite. Okay. So the the outpost, the first kind of big outpost, is what we call Malt. M-A-L-T. Yes. Okay. So this is mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue. And and again, this would be described uh, based on the location. So yeah. where would you want this kind of cluster of tissues? Well, it's again, all in the name.
1: Is it mucosa-associated? Yeah. So it's in embedded in mucous membranes. So GRT, urinary, urinary tract. Um, nasal cavity, oral cavity. Yeah, and these actually have another name. So
0: MOLT is probably the best. Is it acronym?
1: yes. Okay. Acronym because you can pronounce it as a word. Malt. Okay. It's an initialism if it's just something like, SES. Okay. Well, that's good. So okay. So malt,
0: malt's the best umbrella term. All right. Okay. So you could have malt, bolt, NULT, galt, cult, LOLT, DOLT. Right. So that last one's named after you. Yeah. So bolt. Yeah. This is bronchus associated lymphatic tissue. Right. Nult, nasal. Galt gut cult with a C, uh, c so that would be i all right Lolt. Um, this would be like um like salivary glands all right i think
1: that's most of them what, du- what's duct the associated other? ones so so okay so let me is the point that you're making the fact that we have these malt or collection of lymphatic tissue sporadically or maybe not sporadically because that highlights it's random but located in specific spots of importance uh, these are the outposts in which if the fluid that's been taken up by the lymphatic system if there's something wrong with it something that shouldn't be there it can go through this first line of defence in a way lymphatic tissue that will house a collection of B and T cells
0: yeah that's that's right that's good that's good now let me just finish off the malt part because I know you want to get into your other areas, but uh, I'm going to go away from the groin because it's not a good uh, good example. I'm Especially sorry. yours. Uh, <laughs> it's not a good so, example of a groin. So, so the, the malt examples that we're going to use, and this is the outposts that have some structure. That, so that means they not only have the fish in net with some B and T cells in it, so we call where you have some Bs, particularly clusters of B cells, we can call these follicles or nodules, okay, mm-hmm. which will essentially become germinal centres which if they come across a pathogen, they'll start to become mitotically active and start to differentiate if they're selected for to make plasma cells which will start to produce antibodies for a
1: immune response. Yeah, that's okay? an import, I think that's an important point to highlight is that the germinal areas that have these B cells in this lympho- lymphoidal tissue can grow and divide and increase. actually physically increases the size of these tissues – when it comes across an antigen in that tissue, yep, right.
0: So the malt tissue, which is the encapsulated outpost, so that it's got it's got a an outer covering, connective tissue, collagen wrap, which makes it a bit more of a defined structure, defined outpost where yeah. there's going to be a lot more soldiers there now. Okay, right. a bigger army, kind of. Yeah. That's, that's p- assuming that they're going to see some enemies. Yeah. Okay. Now the good locations. I'm going to just give examples are the tonsils, which is nose and mouth, which obviously would be a location where a lot of pathogens can get in. Yeah. And intestines where, again, you're eating food that has a high capacity of pathogens being in it.
1: Well, yeah, you think about it. Two main ways that things get into your body is you breathe it in or you ingest it. Yeah. So it makes sense that you're going to have these outposts manning the stations – um, f- for these two potential um, uh, areas that obviously either being breathed in or taken swallowed in through food. In. Yeah, swallowed yeah. in.
0: So I'll just go through a few of them quickly. So the tonsils is generally considered a whole group of these malt tissue that's in your naso-oropharynx. So you have some at the back of your nose, which is sometimes known as the pharyngeal tonsils, which is probably made up of the tubular tonsils and the adenoids. Now, uh, when they swell up, that's around the area of your station tube. Yep. Okay. And this is more problematic with children. Okay. And when they swell up, they can stop the ability of the station tube, which goes to your middle middle ear, equalizing your middle ear out. And then the child has problems with draining their ear. They get glue ear and they get middle ear infections, which is not pleasant. So that's usually the problem with that. Now... We go down to the ones in the mouth, oropharynx. So this would be the um, palatine tonsils and the lingual tonsils. Now, they're located in what we call a crypt, which is kind of like a divot. (laughs) So so that means it's a unique place for pathogens to get stuck. Mm, mm. So they're kind of this malt tissue just sits in this
1: gully and all this... Gully's a very Aussie term, isn't it? Yeah. what would you say no, you Are say crypt n- you've already you've already basically defined what it is is a divot a crypt a gully we'll call it a valley next then we'll call a big, it a big valley's a big we'll call anyway. it a, a dip okay. and then we can call it whatever something else next time bottom of a want. hill yeah okay
0: um and so the fluid kind of drains into that cave <laughs> yeah. not quite a, not quite a cave um and that's where the lymph tissue is which means that it's a good location to pick up there's a nasty thing around and this is usually why in children these tissues get um, swollen and inflamed, and this is essentially tonsillitis. And pussy and stinking. All, all the above, yeah. yep. Now the other two, uh, we have some in the distal part of the small intestine, which we call the pyre
1: patches. Yep, Okay. In the
0: ilium. And they kind of, their job apparently is, we, you'd assume that there should be some, a bit of bacteria in your small intestine, but nowhere to the extent
1: of the large intestine. Mm. So You're saying apparently as though you don't trust them. With the bacteria or uh, or the... The pie patches. Um, Oh, apparently this is what
0: they do. Well, like when I read up on it, it it said that the pie patches is really about limiting the amount of bacteria in your small intestine. Yeah, moving
1: through to the large intestine.
0: But I'd imagine that your colonised, your small intestine would be colonised quite extensively with bacteria. Yeah. So um, how how well it does that. I think it's more... It's it's its job is more so to stop too much from the large intestine going back up to the small. So yeah. it's kind of like a oh yeah a, a backflow security guard to say uh, keep the crowds away. Yeah.
1: So basically, anytime you walk into a nightclub, the pyre patches or the bouncers are and like, like You're Sorry, not mate. welcome, mate. No, look at you, pathetic.
0: And then finally, the other malt tissue of noteworthiness is the appendix, which is in oh. the large bowel. Is it now? This is debatable a bit. Secum, yeah, hangs off the secum. That's right. Mm.
1: Um, like you hang off me.
0: Yeah, I'm, I seem to be used a lot as examples today in this. <laughs> Look, it's it
1: it's because there's these uncanny parallels between you and this tissue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the appendix. Now,
0: we would have thought once it was vestigial, waste of time, no point. Like you. But <laughs> but I think more and more we're starting to see there is some function of the appendix. Yes. Um, it seems to have um, evolved separately in multiple occasions mm-hmm. or re-evolved. Is that right? Yeah,
1: I think... Well, I don't know if the term is re-evolved. I think there's a more specialised term, which you and I aren't specialised enough to remember. But you're right. It has... Um, basically redeveloped within populations. Yeah. So even though we can live as humans, we can live without the appendix. It does there play seem to a be role. Yeah. yeah, there's a benefit. And to
0: to my best knowledge the it seems that the function of the appendix even though it has this malt tissue in it and if you are overburdened with pathogens, it would probably swell up and give you appendicitis. Yeah. Hence the problem with it. Do you still have your appendix? I still got it. Um I think I've had appendicitis but it wasn't taken out.
1: Really? Yep. Wow. I would have thought they would have just. Did they just? I don't even remember. I don't
0: even, I don't even remember. I had antibiotics.
1: So what oh Anyway, you've still got um, peritonitis. It's yeah.
0: It's why I sit so. Um, I'm not going to say rigidly, but I just did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it apparently it re reseeds re- not reseeds as it goes backwards. It just puts um, flora back into your large bowel, particularly if you've had a. Maybe a bout of gastro and you've just mm. lost a whole lot of flora.
1: Yeah, like when you were in Singapore.
0: Um, yeah, well, after being in India, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So your appendix would have worked overtime. Yeah, but I did have a an, an array of um, antibiotics there. Okay, so you would have knocked. So when I, when I uh, left India, I got a, a nasty uh, gastro bout. And when I ro- arrived.
1: How, how nasty, Matt? Um, did you look, I wasn't, vom-
0: I wasn't vomiting, which is good. Cause as you know, when I vomit, I Pass faint. <laughs> so that was a blessing, but I've never, <laughs> I've never, um, went to the toilet so much for, uh, number twos yeah. as I did for that 24 hours. So
1: I was literally, was stuff coming out every time,
0: ev- every half an hour. Yeah. To the point where I would be hydrating as best I can. So I just, Drink a whole lot of Gatorade, and you could actually hear it moving through. Wow! Like you know, um, wow. The water coolers, you know how yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah. <laughs> And then toilet painful, uh, not overly, yeah. but I think I just lose lost so much fluid that I fainted at like two in the morning, and then my wife freaked out and took me to hospital. But then when when I got to hospital, they put me on a drip, as they would, yeah. and the the gastroenterologist said. Um, Look, I just had a uh, a person from – because I said I'd just come back from India. Mm. And, and the gastroenterologist said, look, I've just had a, a another patient from India and they had three pathogens at once. Whoa. I had a virus, a bacteria and an amoeba. Oh, <laughs> my God. So they're like – Oh, my God. It's a public holiday because it was on New Year's Eve. Yeah. It's public holiday so I'm not going to get a poo culture back for like four days. I'm just going to – Give you a whole, you with whole lot of stuff,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how quickly did it help?
0: You know what helped the most is just some um, buscapan, which is just like an anti-spasmodic. That just helped the pain. Yeah, just yeah. the cramping pain. Yeah, I didn't actually feel that bad. I was just, but I was just couldn't stop going to the toilet. Oh, nice. Anyway, that's the uh, the malt tissue. So right. we now move into the much more formed, established type of lymphatic tissue, which is the lymph nodes
1: okay lymph nodes Um, lymph nodes are basically located in various parts of your body usually in groups do you know where these predominant lymph node locations are Matty again that would be in in locations where
0: a lot of the the drainage would be going through so for instance if it was in your arm if you wanted to drain tissue of the arm you would pull it back from the capillaries into the trunks and then as it comes kind of into to the area, then it goes through a cluster
1: under your armpit. Yeah, the axillary nodes. In same happens with the legs. It'll obviously so, so come, every, come together so, the
0: groin. Yeah, so everything your arms will go kind of axilla. Yeah. Legs will go inguinal. Yep. Head, neck would go cervical. That's right. And then probably your intestinal would be missing uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So that's right. So these are the major groups of lymph nodes, which makes sense because it's all sort of coalescing together into larger larger um, vessels which then come together into the lymph nodes. It's about
0: 450 to 600 in humans.
1: Yes. So there's a fair few of these lymph nodes and you can sort of palpate some of them in your neck if you feel around. And well, that's what
0: doctors usually do, right? Yeah.
1: And if you're lean enough, you can feel them in your groin, the ing- inguinal lymph nodes as well, little tiny bean-shaped structures uh, and
0: About a centimetre thick, two centimetres to three centimetres in a long axis. Yeah.
1: So these little beans, basically what's happening is that the fluid's all coming through. It's coming through the lymphatic vessels. That's uh, what?
0: What's the vessel that enters these beans? They're
1: called afferent lymphatic vessels yep. and they move in. And so I like to think about it. You've got a bean, right, and you've got maybe… I know, half a dozen afferent vessels entering the bean from different angles. And as it goes into the bean, the fluid moves through the cortex, the outer shell of the bean, right? Now, if you move from the cortex more deeply, you're going to find different populations of cells. Mm. So basically you're going to find on the most external area, you're going to find the B cells.
0: And remember, what, what do we call those clusters again?
1: Um, the germinal
0: centres. Follicles or nodules. Now once they get, um, once they're active they become germinal. So if they are really mitotically active, the germinal cells, then they're going to stain clearer or whiter because they've so, they got less dense um, genetic material as they're just expressing a lot of their genes. But if they're all clumped up tightly, then I guess you'd consider
1: them um, follicular. So basically the way I think about it is there's around about four or so different cell types inside the lymph node. So you've got your B cells, you've got your T cells, you've got your macrophages and you've got your follicular dendritic cells. Mm. They're the main cell types. And
0: fibroblasts to make the, the capsule and the trabecular, so the connective tissue part.
1: Yes. But if we're talking about immune function, then yeah. it's those, those four. And so the way I think about it to sort of make uh, a, a difficult process easy to understand is that when the fluid comes through, the lymph fluid, if it contains some part of a pathogen, maybe a protein on the outside, which is its antigenic region, so it could just be a little flag on a protein or bacteria, which says, hey, I don't belong to you, um, it's going to get engulfed by the macrophages that are present within this lymph node. And what it does is it will engulf maybe the whole bacteria, part of the bacteria, but regardless, it takes part of this antigen and presents it. Now, it's going to present this antigen to the T cells that are present and the T cells will call in the B cells. Which are there in that kind of nodule. They're all in that area together. And so the T cells are activated. They call in the B cells. The B cells go, okay, this shouldn't be here. I'm going to turn into plasma cells that create antibodies like immunoglobulin G, for example, mm-hmm. and I'll remember this. Yep. And there's a couple of things that can happen from here. So first thing is that that antigen can just then be free-floating around, so it can just jump into the system and just go do through other areas. Do you mean the antibody, the, not antigen? The, no, the antigen itself can actually...
0: Oh, do you mean the way it picks, picks up that there is something foreign?
1: So once the antigen has been ingested by the macrophage and has presented it, that antigen can be released. Oh, okay. Yep. Antibodies can then bind to it and move around, Mm -hmm. just bound to this antigen. Um, The antigen can be given to the dendritic, the follicular dendritic cells. And what they do is the, I like to think of them as sentries. So the follicular dendritic cells, they just stay in the lymph node. They don't leave. And so they'll take the antigen and they'll hold it as a flag and they'll keep it forever. And so what they'll do, Every now and then. It's like a wanted sign. Yeah. It's sort of, I like to think about it, every now and then it just says to the T and B cells, hey.
0: Don't forget this guy.
1: You remember this? And waves the flag in front of them. And they go, yeah, that's right. And then they remember and maintain a memory to it. So that lymph node goes, yeah, I've come, come across that before. These B and T cells, we're ready to attack because we've seen it before. Um, but what also can happen is that the memory cells that have been produced, the antibodies, can float throughout the bloodstream now. So they can go Mm. to other areas of the body. So at the end of the day, you've got T cells being activated, huge amounts of B cells being activated.
0: And when they become activated, that's when you get your germinal centers.
1: And they grow and grow and divide and grow. Mm. And what happens to the size of the lymph node when this happens? so then you get lymphopathy. Yeah, the lymph becomes bigger and swells. And this is what your doctor is palpating. So it makes sense that if you've got an infection of the head or neck, it goes to the cervical lymph nodes. If you've got an infection of the feet And or that's legs. where
0: a lot of the infections... So you get a sore throat from an upper respiratory infection, you know, that's why the sore throat comes about from the tonsils being inflamed, or this this tissue that I just spoke about being inflamed, which causes uh, inflammation and kind of restriction or annoyance when you swallow. Uh, and then... But continuing from that, then that fluid that's got infectious particles will go to the lymph nodes in around your neck and they start to swell, and that's why they can kind of pick up the little rubbery things under your jawline.
1: And so if you've got an infection of the feet or legs, it'll go to the inguinal. If you've got an infection of maybe some part of your torso or your arms, it's going to go to your axillary. And so this is – the lymph nodes can be a very gross uh, clinical measure of infection presence and infection site. So where it is and if it's present. So – That's the important role of these lymph nodes. T cells, B cells, macrophages and follicular dendritic cells. And I think that's pretty much it when it comes to lymph nodes that we'll probably need to go through. Just in terms of their swelling, uh, if they are swollen, because in and of itself
0: swelling doesn't really, it's not specific to what's causing the swelling. It just known that it's gotten bigger. Usually speaking, if it is painful with swelling, that it's more infectious based where if it's swelling with no pain, it's potentially more cancer-based. Yeah. And so you can get lymphopathies or lymphomas or even secondary cancers because with a cancer, let's just say you had a cancer of the breast, okay, and that's just a type of tissue. It could be ductal tissue. It could be a different type of tissue in the breast tissue. But... Just like we saw with pathogens, that cancer can kind of break away from its initial tumour and be put into the fluid, the tissue fluid, the interstitial fluid. So just like we saw when you're trying to reclaim that tissue and it gets put into the shingles because there's no true membrane like other um, vessels, vessels, it can escape into the capillary um, lactose Uh, not lacteal, the capillary bed of the lymph uh, vessels. Yeah. Which means it can then get shot along these bigger vessels. But you have lymph nodes. So that cancer could get stuck in the lymph node, which would then mean that tumour kind of reseeds there and starts growing. And that could be…
1: That's part of the staging of cancers, right?
0: So with breast cancer, um, what could be done possibly is if you find the primary tumour in the breast, you can kind of inject a, a marker into that tumour tissue and see where it's taken back into the uh, auxiliary tissue mm. and then that could be the location of where a cancer is likely to be spread, which is I think called the sentinel nodes. And then an investigation is done in the lymph nodes to see if there's any cancer involvement. And they could be staggered so you can kind of go through multiple stages of the lymph nodes until it gets to the point where it will drop it off in the veins and mm. hopefully you can catch it before it gets to the last few before yeah. it gets. And if you can kind of stop that, it would be probably considered more like a stage three cancer. Mm. But as soon as it gets into the blood, then it's stage four and it's
1: everywhere. Yeah. Unfortunately. It can see to other tissues of the body outside of the lymph nodes.
0: And then when you go to the lymphomas opposed to the leukemias, these are... Cancers that originate from the white blood cells. And I guess basically why you get lymphomas, which are cancers within the lymph lymph nodes themselves. Lymph nodes were, in embryological days, locations for blood cell development. So some blood cells uh, have a propensity or a want to go back home. And so if they are cancerous, mm. usually when they're cancerous, like leukemia or a lymphoma, they are immature. They're more baby-like, okay? They've been pushed out of the bone marrow too early and they like to stay in their old home. And so this is why the lymph- lymphomas are attracted to lymph nodes and then then you can start to get tumours associated with This is where you have, let's say, Hodgkin's lymphoma and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, because lymph nodes, people should realise that lymph nodes... Uh, A site of T and B cell maturation. So, like you're saying, go go home. It's the place where you grow up, right? You reside and you grow, and that's what the lymph nodes do. So, when you're obviously very early on in development, the bone marrow is the most important place for blood cells. Um, But areas of the body, like the lymph nodes, will be seeded by with T and B cells where they'll grow and develop and then be utilised for infection in this scenario, like one of these scenarios. Mm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If, if there's a genetic aberration in some of the stem cells associated with white blood cell production, for example, um, then they can go off and seed cancers inside of lymph nodes. Yeah. And, and the, main di- the main
0: difference between the leukemias and the lymphomas is the leukemias uh, stay generally diffuse in the blood, whereas mm. the lymph- lymphomas can also move into the lymph nodes.
1: Yeah. All right. Any more about lymph nodes?
0: The only thing I'll say just for clarity, when you have lymphatic tissue, you might have heard the term primary and secondary lymphatic tissue or organs. Yeah, yeah. So essentially what a primary lymphatic organ is, is an organ that is associated with um, the maturation and development of uh, lymphocytes. Yeah. So these would be bone marrow and the thymus. Anything outside those two organs would be considered secondary lymphatic organs. So this would be what we've just discussed as well as adding into that would be spleen.
1: So do you want to talk about the spleen
0: now? Yeah, so the spleen is kind of like a, a, a modif- well, it's got kind of two main functions being one for uh, immune and one being for recycling old red blood cells. Mm. Okay. So this,
1: you'd say, you could probably say the spleen and the thymus are two extremely important lymphatic Tissues, yeah. The, well, the thymus. I'll just quickly say in passing,
0: the th- thymus is for, I'd say, maturation of T cells. So, white blood cells come from a stem cell in bone marrow, mm-hmm. and then the early uh, precursor for T cells will get shot off out into the blood early than the B cells would. Yeah, and particularly for children, where the thymus thymus is located in the mediastinum, just above the heart
1: kind of how you describe it, behind the sternum? Yep. Or just slightly above it? When you're born, it's around about five centimetres. It's pretty big comparatively to yeah, the size to, of the child. Yeah.
0: And so its job here is the immature T-cells go to that location. From the bone marrow. And they get then, uh, what would you say? Schooled. Schooled, That's, yeah. So basically that what it does there is, Puts them through a whole lot of tests. One, to make sure that they are successful to pick up pathogens but also not too uh, brutal that would be uh, become an, an autoimmune yeah. type of T cell. So they've yeah. got to be the balance between the two. Yes. Once they're happy with that, they can then just shoot them off into the blood and then they can go in all sorts of locations like lymph nodes as an example. And the spleen. And the spleen. Yeah. Okay. Amongst other organs but and there's so as the you grow
1: ones. As you grow, the so the biggest your thymus will ever be is at birth. And then as you grow up, it will shrink and deteriorate. Is that just fee? Is that mean proportionally? Like, is it bigger? I think actually objectively. I really? think, yeah, I mean. So the size of your thymus. I think the size of your thymus compared to the size of the thymus oh, of when, a newborn. In, of when you were oh. a newborn is smaller. Really? And if you were to take uh, an elderly person and uh, if you were. It just they, becomes fat. If they donated their body. Um, for us to be able to use within the teaching anatomy, teaching labs, and I ask the students locate this person's thymus, you wouldn't be able to find it.
0: Or well, maybe, unless you're really a good anatomist. Uh, and
1: I think it atrophies and just becomes fat. Yeah. So the so the, the take home message is that the bone marrow creates the, the newborn T cells, throws it off to the thymus. It's a school, like you said, to get it prepared for being able to re- respond to, identify, and respond to. Whole range of different types of antigens. Once this is done and it's been schooled, it throws it off into the bloodstream. It says, Go off onto your own and they go off to university, which is the nodes and the the lymph nodes and the spleen.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. Thank you. Um, And so basically, what you're saying, after about the age of 20, just after puberty, you're not really going to do any more T cell schooling.
1: No, it's all been done. Okay. All been done. Brilliant. And you rely upon your lymph nodes. And, uh, so that's, a,
0: that's the job of the thymus, which we said yes. is a primary lymphatic organ. All right, spleen. Spleen. The spleen. So spleen's basically like uh, a lymph node, but instead of doing that filtering that we just spoke of, of lymph, it does it more so for blood.
1: Yeah, I, and this is where you, uh, when we had our very brief discussion, uh, I really like the fact that you said, you know, lymph nodes will take the sample of the blood in that area to, and, no, no, fluid. Well, yeah, which is a sample of the blood. I guess so. Right? So whatever has fallen out of the bloodstream into the interstitial fluid that's then reclaimed by the lymphatic vessels, let's just say in your groin, it's going to be taken to the lymph nodes in your groin, the inguinal lymph nodes, and they're going to say, hey, what's been happening in this area? And mm-hmm. if there's a pathogen or not. Your point was that, the spleen does exactly this, but it doesn't wait for fluid to fall out of the bloodstream into the interstitium. It just samples directly from the bloodstream mm. what is happening.
0: Because you really, you'd really hope there's no pathogens in your blood. You'd hope, you'd hope so. I mean, you'd hope you, not, because then you've got <laughs> some issues. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it is an active, say, bacteria, it's a bacteremia. But if it then becomes it's replicating then it's going down a sepsis pathway, which yeah. is not something you want to be. You in.
1: don't want things like the heart and the lungs and the brain to receive this bacteria. So So the spleen's twelve centimeters long, seven centimeters wide, two point five centimeters thick, weighs two hundred grams, and is purplish in colour. Now we've orientated people, please.
0: Where, where is it located?
1: It's in your body. <laughs> uh, the spleen, uh, the tail of the pancreas is tickling the belly of the spleen is how I always explain it to students. So the tail of the pancreas. Just below,
0: so left side, just below the diaphragm, kind of close uh, approximation to the stomach and the tail of the pancreas.
1: Yeah, so if right now I were to take you, throw you onto the table, tear your shirt, <laughs> this is going down a different path than I thought. Um, you're dead, by the way. And I were to go into your abdomen and I will to <laughs> just look straight in. I'd be like, well, oh, I can't see anything but a lot of fat here. Um, then I lift up your stomach. I will go, ooh, behind your stomach I can see a little bit of your pancreas there. And then Pancreas I, is
0: pretty deep. It's a retro a retroperitoneal organ. Just wait.
1: I'll be able to see a little bit of your pancreas there is what okay. I said. The tail, yep. Thank you. And then that tail you'll see tickling the spleen on the left-hand side of your abdomen. It looks like kind of a
0: fist. About the size of a fist, right? Not, not as yeah, it's fat bigger as a than fist.
1: Your, yeah, not as fat as your fat fist, but it's a big fist sort of uh, – uh, obviously not as well-defined, but purplish. In, it stands out when you see it. Okay. We're, Sorry. We're giving
0: great descriptions I here. I know, I know. So basically what happens – right, what's, what's
1: the spleen do though? First, just what's, what is what
0: is – Two main functions. Okay. One being an immune function which is similar to what we just said with the lymph nodes. And the second main function is to help recycle old red blood cells. Okay. So it's the old graveyard for old red blood cells. Yeah. But all the parts that is important to get back from the red blood cells, it helps to recycle and send probably to mostly to the liver to to help reform the most important parts. Okay. But then also um, – white blood cell function which is as the as the arterial comes into the so the splenic artery comes into the spleen the hilum it starts to break off into small and smaller parts like the central arterial and that's kind of wrapped up the central arterial is wrapped up in t-cells which is going to be important for um, seeing any potential foreign uh, pathogens, and then there's still these kind of follicle clusters of B cells, just like we saw in the in the um, lymph nodes, and then there's still some macrophages and dendritic cells, which is important for sampling any of the blood fluid yeah. to to, to see. present to the lymphocytes, yeah. and then and that allows that whole process that we spoke about in the lymph node to occur.
1: And one one final little side function of the spleen is a storage unit for blood, excess blood.
0: Yeah. Not so. It's not as profound in humans as other animals like dogs and horses hugely. So hugely by what means? What do you mean? How a much? Th- a third of the overall um, blood ret- volume, blood volume in dogs
1: can be held in the spleen. Correct. I know a 350 mils in humans. Which yeah,
0: is so, th- so it's, it's not as profound in humans. Not to what, say it's zero. Um, it so it, to add on from all the different cell types that we spoke about in the lymph nodes, um, the spleen also has what we call myofibroblasts, which are uh, connected tissue cells that have a bit of muscle in it. And so I guess with humans when you have a sympathetic response, you do have a bit of con- splenic con- contraction, oh, okay. which does probably uh, sequester – is that the right word? Maybe not. Um, get rid of some yeah, the red blood cells and fluid volume. Yeah. Um, out of the spleen into the the main body, okay, the main central system. But dogs profoundly one third, oh. and racehorses also apparently. So it is a good storehouse in that. So as the dog's running for its life from another dog or from you, uh, <laughs> it's going to contract its spleen significantly, which gives it a third
1: of more blood volume, which is yeah. quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's fair bit. Um, All right. So what did you? Was there anything else you want to say about the spleen? So so it's basically. Uh, a lymph node, a, a large lymph node for the bloodstream, um, and it filters the old, dead, dodgy-looking red blood cells, and it's a storage unit for excess Just a, blood. Just a couple of i I try to do some comparative anatomy
0: physiology for this whole system, yep. and I couldn't really find a, a great deal difference in, say, lymph vessels, nodes, but it seems like the spleen is the, probably the main the main difference between the animals. Okay. So. In terms of its reservoir reservoir function... Yep, you've had dogs and racehorses. Dogs and racehorses. Yep. But some, some animals, particularly mice, have quite a strong hemopoietic function in the spleen. What's that mean? Uh, the formation of new blood cells. Okay. So I think... So instead she, of
1: the bone marrow, the spleen can yeah, do Yeah,
0: and, and humans did do this. So spleen, liver was a place embryologically for hemopoiesis. So it goes from... Uh, now, you, now you're testing me. No, you, um, you tested yourself. Tested. I didn't ask you. Oh, I should know <laughs> this. Um, can't remember now.
1: Great. There's
0: kind of almost like a placental location is really early days embryologically.
1: For just hemopoiesis, overall blood, hemopoiesis, blood cell. hemopoiesis. Yeah. Then it
0: moves into liver splenic. Yeah. And then it moves into bone. And then as you get in towards the late fetal period into babies, then the the bone marrow takes over. But okay. in mice, it's quite profound. Hemopoiesis is quite profound in the spleen, as as is um, lymphopoiesis. So this is the, the production and the maturation of uh, lymphocytes. Yeah. yeah, Humans, not much anymore uh, after the age of 20, but most other adult mammals will keep, keep doing maturation and schooling in the spleen.
1: All right. Okay. That's cool. Well, I think so. What we've done is so far, we've spoken about lymph, we've spoken about lymph vessels, we've spoken about lymphatic tissue. I think we and we've spoken about fluid homeostasis. I want to talk a little bit about the lymphatic system in the brain because it's very new uh, in regards to uh, as a discovery.
0: Is this where they think that if you're not reclaiming the lymph well enough, you start
1: you may develop certain degenerative disorders? Yeah. So there's a th- okay. So. The lymphatic system historically was not thought to exist in the central nervous system. And they thought that the central nervous system had a very specific way it dealt with immune based issues. So it had its own uh, nervous system based immune cells. Like, like mic- glia. glia. Yeah, glia, for example. So a multitude of cells that basically check on the neurons, the, the cells that are doing all the firing uh, and sending and communication and so forth. They're best friends of the glia and they just make sure everything's okay. Immune function, ions, fluids, all that type of stuff. By the way,
0: it's called – it's the yolk sac. (laughs) What is? (laughs) The first
1: part of hemopoiesis in Uh, a baby. Not the name of your band in high school. That was also – The yolk sac. Um, Sounds like your favourite nightclub, the yolk sac. All right. So we knew about lymphatics in the 1600s because when they were doing dissections – They could look – no, I'll get to that point later because actually that supports another point I'm making. We'll, We'll get back to the 1600s but now let's just focus on the brain. In the did, 21st century. 21st century. We thought that the brain didn't have lymphatic vessels. Now we know that it does. And it's got a multitude of lymphatic vessels that are more classical lymphatic vessels, traditional, the ones that we've just spoken about, but also lymphatic vessels which are different and very specific. Modern and contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> very specific to the brain itself. So, so for example, the brain lymphatics, um, or also termed the cerebral lymphatic system, are these vessels, much like the ones we've discussed, that lay right next to the cranial, dural, venous, venous sinuses. Okay. So do you know what they are? Well, the, the dural venous sinuses.
0: That's just draining the head, the brain, from a venous side of, side of things. But yeah. also this is where CSF gets recirculated, right? Doesn't, yes. Doesn't the end of the CSF system gets dumped in, off into these... Uh, Venal systems?
1: Yeah. Just like any tissue that receives an arterial supply of blood, so cerebral arteries will turn into cerebral arterioles, which will turn into cerebral capillary beds that will get oxygen and nutrients, and then it will spit out carbon dioxide and waste products, which will jump into the cerebral venous system, and these cerebral veins drain into these dural venous sinuses. But in addition to that, cerebral spinal fluid also drains into these cerebral um, yeah. venous...
0: Is that why do you, do you think that they thought there was no lymphatics because we had a CSF system, which they may have just thought this is kind of the lymphatic version of the brain?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and it wasn't extremely apparent either. The dural venous sinuses drain into the jugular veins and then obviously drains out from the, the, the head from there. But Im- importantly... Sitting next to the dural venous sinuses is lymphatic vessels that we call the cerebral lymphatics. And their role is – they're also termed meningeal lymphatics as well. Their role is to basically um, clear waste, provide immune cells and move immune cells around, clear some macromolecules out, collect CSF and then deliver it to the deep cervical lymph nodes. So it basically really? yeah yeah so it takes the waste takes the things that shouldn't be there it's reclaimed stuff that's been lost right including CSF and throws it down to the cervical lymph nodes where how do you think it gets down because the cranial vault right how do you think it gets down from because the cervical lymph nodes are the the deep cervical lymph nodes are still quite superficial compared to the spinal cord right and the foramen magnum, which is the hole that the spinal cord moves through. Mm. So, how do you think the lymphatics drain to from the brain to the cervical lymph nodes? It's not through the foramen magnum.
0: I mean, how they get through the skull?
1: Yes. The cribriform plate. Didn't really? Yeah. Yeah. Which wow. tell listeners what the cribriform plate is? Um, so
0: if you were to go into your nose uh, and keep going upwards, but slightly backwards, you would kind of get to the point where you'd hit the skull and the cribriform plate is a part of the ethnoid bone that has all these little holes in it. So if you were to look at a dry skull and you look in that region of the frontal bone, the ethnoid bone, so the frontal uh, portion of your Skull. skull, but specifically the ethnoid bone, um, what you would see is these two two plates on each either, either side of this um, crista galley. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. It's where you kind of dura locks onto and you see these kind of um, sieve on either side which has got little holes in it. And those holes allow your olfactory nerve to put filaments through into your nose to be able to smell. Yeah. And so this is the kind of connection between... Outside your skull and inside your skull, so this is one yeah, of, central nervous system, peripheral nerves. Yeah, one one location where they think that there could be a possibility that um, you may get communication back up into your brain from your nose. Now, if you were to have spinal, cord, sorry, spinal, a spinal head injury, especially if it came from the front of your head, mm-hmm. um, you could not only shear these nerves off, which means you lose your sense of smell, but you could also kind of tear a little bit of your meninges, yep. and that means CSF can come through the cribriform plate in your nose. Leak out your nose. And so that's where you get like rhinorrhea
1: from head injury. Yes. So it seems to be that the meningeal lymphatics that are collecting the CSF and the immune and the waste and the macromolecules and so forth, it's draining to the deep cervical lymph nodes in your neck and it does it through the cribriform plate, which I think is absolutely amazing. Now, they're not the only lymphatic vessels in the brain. Amazingly, the cerebral arteries and arterioles are surrounded by these paravascular pathways that are lined with astrocytes, Mm -hmm. right? So, which is a type of glia. And astrocytes look like stars. Their legs sort of project outwards. And so these legs wrap around this paravascular, so meaning next to the blood supply, vessels – and fluid that's leaking out from the so interstitial fluid and cerebral spinal fluid uh, and anything that's coming out through paracellular pathways from the blood vessels will lim- leak into these astrocyte or glia-lined vessels and they're called glymphatics. Yeah. So glia-lymphatics, glymphatics. And so they're just another lymphatic pathway. Now, what's the whole point of the brain having this. The whole point is the fact that it is a way to monitor what's happening in the localised environment and to help drain away any fluid and stuff that shouldn't be there. But you're right. You you said earlier, has it been associated with neurodegenerative diseases? And the answer is yes, it has. And they're trying to look at ways to um, exploit the lymphatics in the brain for drug delivery. And to help treat, because beta amyloid, which can form plaques in the brain for Alzheimer's disease, also get drained via this lymphatics. So a thought is that some form of blockage or damage to the lymphatics in the brain can lead to an accumulation of beta amyloid and can result in plaques and therefore Alzheimer's disease.
0: If you were to sample this, not CSF, sorry, lymph that was leaving, and it seemed to have a higher amount of amyloid. Or different concentrations, could that suggest you may have a a greater process going
1: on? That's a really good question and I don't know. Really good question. Okay. So that's the brain and that's the lymphatics in the brain which we now know exists. Last, we're hitting the last point now that we need to discuss which is that of the absorption of dietary fats. And we've got 15 minutes to do it, Matt. I don't think we need that long. That's what I thought. So (laughs) when you eat a delicious cheeseburger, which you often do, you're ingesting proteins, fats, and carbs. The carbohydrates broken down in your mouth through an enzyme called amylase into glucose.
0: Not completely, but... Mostly. ...start. The process is beginning.
1: Yeah, we're talking generalizations here. Okay. The protein is broken down in your stomach by proteases, molecular scissors that chop up proteins, and hydrochloric acid, which helps unfold those three-dimensional proteins. And now you have left with amino acids. But... The fats haven't been digested yet. So by the time we get into the small intestines, the pancreas starts to get kicked into overgear, releases enzymes that break down proteins, fats and carbohydrates. And now and your, bile, the, and your bile. And your bile. And by the time you hit your duodenum or at least your jejunum, you've now got your micronutrients. You've got individual glucose. You've got amino acids. And your fats, which are basically your triglycerides, have now broken down into fatty acids. And monoglycerides. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here in your small intestines, the enterocytes, the epithelial cells that line your intestines, absorb all these micronutrients because they're small enough now. The glucose... Across their wall into the blood. Correct. The glucose and amino acids will take it all the way through the enterocyte and throw it into the bloodstream. And then take it to the liver. That's right, through the portal system. Mm -hmm. But the fats, the fatty acid and monoglycerides... They get absorbed into the enterocytes, but something different happens here. They don't just move all the way through; they get repackaged, and so the fatty acids, monoglycerides, and even some cholesterol jump into the endoplasmic reticulum. Reticulum with a, with a protein, with um, some proteins, yeah. and it forms this what's called a lipoprotein. It creates like a, a lipid droplet with mm. proteins associated with it that has now got fatty acids and uh, repackaged into triglycerides and and cholesterol, yep. uh, and then chucks it to the Golgi apparatus um, for packaging. For further packaging, and now it's what's called a lipoprotein, a cholomicron specifically, yeah. right? This cholomicron gets pushed out of the Golgi apparatus and gets pu- pushed out of the uh, enterocyte, but doesn't jump into the bloodstream to go through the portal system to the liver. It jumps straight into blunt ended. Lymphatics okay. called lacteals. Why? Which are present in the villi. What's it called, lacteal? Because it looks like a cow's udder. Close. What? It's milky. There you go. Like like lactose, milk. Milk colour because the yeah. fat that's getting absorbed into it and this yeah. brings me back to the point that I was originally making about in the 1600s we knew about lymphatic vessels because they could see that post after a meal these vessels were white. Because of the fat. And so how did, how
0: did they know this? They just gave people a cheeseburger and then killed them and then have a look? Look, 1600s. <laughs> brutal put time. It past them. That brutal was a brutal time.
1: <laughs> so the take-home message is that fats get absorbed into the lymphatic system in the small intestines, unlike the broken down Why carbohydrates do you think that and amino acids. Do you think that because
0: fats like to be congregated together rather than being singular, like you said with the monosaccharide and the amino acids they like to be in a group and so as a group it's too hard to transport across the cell into blood so it's easy just to repackage it as a whole big fat droplet and then chucked into the lacteal
1: yeah proteins are readily soluble right because they have that negative charge associated with it which we spoke about an hour and 13 minutes ago oh great there's a fire alarm going on let's finish this super quick so the proteins are water soluble <laughs> so if you've got fats embedded in this protein chylomicron it's going to be more soluble and it jumps into the lymphatics and from the lymphatics it can be delivered to the whole body and this is where we should probably end before we get in trouble for a, f-
0: a alarm going off and we're not yes. obeying rules all right so Thanks that's the, that's the end of the um the <laughs> <How> lymph- exciting <laughs> the lymphatic system Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners, and um, we'll see you and next hopefully time. Is we have survived this, this fire. This fire.
1: Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.